shall return and come a singing unto Zion. And everlasting joy shall be on their heads. Come on, somebody say joy coming in the morning time. Come on, somebody say joy 
the morning time.
Isaiah 54 comes after Isaiah 53, obviously, which is a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do for us in his death, burial, and resurrection, that he would bear our sins. The last verse of Isaiah 53 says, Therefore I will divide with him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he's poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is what Jesus did. He carried our sins to the cross, and while they were torturing him, he prayed for those torturing him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And through his payment and his fulfillment of Isaiah 53, we can be redeemed. Every wicked thing we've ever done that separates us from people and from God has been forgiven and paid for, and you can receive the benefit of that by putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your substitute who was punished for me and for you. Who's thankful for our substitute? He came down so that we could go up. He came out so that we could go in. He became naked so that we could be clothed. He died so that we could live. He became sin so that we could become righteous. Who's glad about it? In the light of that truth, Isaiah 54 opens up. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nation and make the desolate cities inhabited. In the wake of Christ's resurrection, having paid for our sins, the church was born. His people, the children of Abraham, now had an opportunity through their Messiah to have an intimate relationship with God. And through this miracle, the church was born and began to spread all around the world. Verse 4, Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, nor be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. That's the condition of the world without him. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with tender mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah in me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you and rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies and your gates of crystal and all your walls of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established, and you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, 
They shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the spoiler to destroy. Verse 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for these precious promises that we can only begin to understand. Lord, we ask you to make your redemption so real to every person here that they would never again doubt their salvation. If anyone here does not know you, I pray, Lord, you generate in their heart the ability to believe that you died for us and that you have risen from the dead, and put their faith in you, Lord, to a living Savior. In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask you to speak to us today from your word. Amen. Welcome to the MLB, Major Living Basics, or you could call it Priorities 101. The theme that's in my heart in reference to this series comes from Isaiah 54, verse 2, that instructs the reader, enlarge the place of your tent. Get ready for growth. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. The bigger the tent, the deeper and the stronger the stakes have to be, right? I believe 2012 is a year of growth for us in many ways as a church and for you in many ways as believers. And in preparation for that, we must strengthen ourselves in the basics. So that's what we're doing in your bulletin is the E100 Bible reading plan. I won't ask for a show of hands because I don't want anybody to be embarrassed, but if we were able to be honest and not be embarrassed, how many have read the Bible all the way through? Probably the majority of the people in this room would not be able to raise their hands. How many have not read the Bible all the way through? So in an effort to help that, the team at E100, the Essential 100 team, have come up with 100 important passages from the Bible. Some of them are pretty long and some of them are pretty short. That if you will read these 100 passages, you will have read the 100 greatest messages, stories, themes, revelations from the Bible. Is that awesome? So I encourage you to do that. This is in an effort to strengthen our stakes. Welcome to the Major Living Basic Series. The first of the year, I spoke a sermon entitled, First, on the preeminence of Christ, that if we will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all the other things in life that we are concerned about will be dealt with and provided for simply by getting down to that basic point, God is first. Can we say first? The second Sunday of the new year, Jeff Ferris ably communicated a sermon entitled, I am second. He is first, I am second. This is the foundation of discipleship. Many times as church people, we approach church and Christianity like we're consumers. You know, we go to Walmart because they have what I want, and they go to church because everything goes my way and I have what I want. That's Americanism. That's not Christianity. You know what the American hymn is? It's to the tune of Amazing Grace, and it goes like this. Me, 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 me. You got the idea. Last Sunday, Greg and Marietta, building line upon line, precept upon precept, skillfully delivered the word that your spouse is second 
and you are third. Put Jesus first, others second, yourself last, you'll have joy. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. This is the foundation of all healthy relationships, preferring one another, esteeming one another more highly than yourself. Today is home. Children are third, and I am fourth. Shouldn't children be second? No. The priority of the relationship is determined by the longevity of the relationship and the intimacy of the relationship. We put God first because we're going to have a relationship with him throughout eternity. And we can have a closer relationship with him than anyone. So our relationship with God is eternal. Marriage is temporal. In heaven, there won't be marriage. We'll all be the bride of Christ corporately, and there'll be one groom, Lord Jesus. Otherwise, you would have a mess in heaven. You would. Because, you know, the widower may remarry or the widow may remarry and have more than one husband in heaven. That would be messy. And so in heaven, marriage is no more. So therefore, second to our relationship with God is our relationship with our spouse. Our children are third. The reason they're third is one day they're going to grow up and leave us and cleave to their Bible says right there in the first family, there in Genesis uh, chapter 2, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. When that happens, a new family is born. Something new is created, and gears are shifted. No longer will they be as close to you as they were. So therefore, they are not second. They are third. Your little girl may look at you like mine did one day. Daddy, I'll be with you forever. Right. Right. But children must be a priority. We cannot put ourselves ahead of them. I can sense someone saying, okay, I'm not first, I'm not second, I'm third. I guess I'm last. No. God is last. He is the first and the last. The last should be first and the first should be last. He is awesome. He took the last place. He made himself the least. He died the death of a criminal. He paid the price for us. He already took that place as our example. So building on the three previous foundations, God is first, I am second, my spouse is second, or others are second, and I am third, my children are third, and I am fourth. Building on the three previous foundations and scoring with the next foundation. Who wants to make a home run in life? We all do. Isaiah 54, again, enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. God is concerned with the generations. That's one of the reasons why we chose that name. We felt he gave us that name. Is he's concerned with the generations. He's the God of Abraham Isaac, Jacob, Reuben through Benjamin. He is the God of the generations, and he has no grandchildren. He's the father to me, and he's the father to my children. He is our creator. Verse 13 has this promise. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace 
of your children. In righteousness, verse 14 begins, you shall be established. That is a key. Being established in righteousness is a key to the fulfillment of verse 13. Seeing our children taught by the Lord and having their peace be great. Application of this verse is for my children to be taught by the Lord, I must be taught by the Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. For our children to be taught by the Lord, we must be taught by the Lord. And for your children to be taught by the Lord, you must be taught by the Lord. This business of telling the child, don't do as I do, but do as I say, that doesn't cut it. Not going to work. They watch us. They imitate us. When they get older and they look in the mirror like I do often, I see my dad. They'll see us. We are reproducing ourselves and our children. You'll never have a greater opportunity in the world to disciple someone than to bring a child into the world. Someone's going to disciple them. It better be us. So the sermon today is home, how to have children taught by the Lord. Number one, serve Christ first, your spouse second, and your children third. When they see us putting Christ first, they'll see an example of how to live their life. When they'll see us honoring our spouse, they'll see the example so that one day they will honor their spouse. But if we put them ahead of our spouse, guess what we're doing? We're teaching them to be self-centered. And when they grow up and get married, they'll be very unhappy because their spouse won't put them in number one position. Always put your spouse second and your children third. Now, I understand in a blended family situation, this is difficult. This is hard. What I'm sharing today is not easy to do, but I'm telling you, your spouse, even if they're a stepmom, needs to be second and the children third. Now, don't make the children 19th. No, they're third. Your children are very important. And if you've been a wicked stepmother, repent and stop. And love those kids that God has given you. A rough stepdad, repent, stop. You have an opportunity to impact the future through the children that have been given you to raise them. It's a hard word, but it's the truth. Honor their other parent, your parents, and their friends' parents. If America needs anything, here we are in an election year, it needs strong families. You can have the most ideal person in the White House, the person you like the most. And if families of America are not made stronger, they can't do a thing about it. I'm not endorsing Rick Santorum, but I like something that he said. World Magazine, the most recent issue, did a little report on him called In Inconvenient Truths. It reads, Santorum has voiced more than any other candidate the understanding that moral issues are not purely private matters. Because if families weaken, government gets stronger. If families weaken, government gets stronger. Because uncared for children mean more social workers. Adultery means more courts, more judges, more lawyers. One household becoming two household generally means more poverty, more welfare, more government, more bureaucracy. America needs stronger families. And so it begins at home, honoring your children's other parent. What if she's your ex or he's, your, he's the ex-husband from hell? 
Do your best with the help of God. Pray and seek his face and honor that person. I don't care if he's in prison for the rest of his life. Honor that person in the presence of your children. Because part of their view of themselves, they see in their parents. If you want to raise successful kids, honor their other parents. And honor your parents. There may come a time when your parents are too involved in your life and you have to back off and make room for Jesus, but never disrespect them. Why? Because one day your children will grow up and they'll have children and they'll follow your example. They'll dishonor you too. Oh, yeah, but I'm better than my dad. Right. Right. We're all perfect. And honor their friends' parents. Don't say, I don't know what Billy Bob's dad's thinking, but that man's an idiot. You don't do that. If you want your children to honor, you have to set the example by establishing honor. Balance discipline with love and vice versa. Balance love with discipline. I raise my children on my knees begging for their forgiveness. For sometimes my punishment was not exercised in love. They were raised with discipline, but there were times that I had to balance it with because I didn't find that natural. My wife helped balance me. How many glad for a wife that balances you? That little cutie who misbehaves right now, that little misbehaving 18-month-old or 36-month-old, I'm just shooting figures out there. I'm not thinking about anybody's child. That misbehavior may be cute now, but when they become a teenager, it becomes a monster. Better get a grip. Ben Franklin said, spare the rod, spoil the child. You know what the Bible says? Spare the rod, hate the child. The rod is a symbol of discipline. If you do not discipline your children, I'm not talking about abusing them, but if you do not discipline your children, the day will come when you will hate their guts because they've made your life so miserable. Some of these cases where parents have killed their children, see it on the news, I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, it's a situation where they never disciplined the child, just expected the child to behave. Children are born sinners. They're going to misbehave. It's our duty to help form them and shape them. Don't go into shock. Oh, my goodness, he lied. Expect it. Expect it. Expect it. Number four, value the next generation and help those who minister to them. The world is at war against the next generation, and yet the next generation is growing more and more. In Ministry Today, the latest issue of Ministry Today is an article by Patricia Bailey Jones entitled Training the Timothys. She says that the young worldwide are facing horrific issues which we must confront. The average age of human trafficking victims is between 10 and 18 Approximately 1 million youth and children are sold into the sex industry annually. Those as young as five are being recruited and forced to serve in combat in nearly 50 wars worldwide. The International Labor Organization estimates that 215 million children as young as age five are being forced to work in order to help pay off the debts of their parents. Because of these statistics... We must equip the younger generation to face and transform the challenges that have gripped and oppressed the world and the world's youth. We cannot afford to close our eyes and turn a deaf ear to their needs. Value the next generation and help those who minister to them. Because it's urgent. So important.
Generation Next. I think faster than any generation before me. I email. Instant message. Web design. Video games are my life. I don't know, I've surfed the internet since I was six. I've never known life without a computer. I did not play Pac-Man. I am Generation Next. I watched over 1,500 hours of television a year. By the time I graduate, I will have seen over 1,200 movies. I visit an average of 20 websites a day. I am Generation Next. Sure, I'll go to church. But if I read my Bible once in the next three weeks... I will be above average. Why? Because my generation... is different. We learn visually, audibly, interactively. I don't know what I believe. What is truth, anyway? Why can't Allah be God? I have no convictions. But every day, I'm told to be tolerant of the convictions of others. For me, there are no absolutes. I am Generation Next. I need a challenge. I am Generation Next. My attention span is 13 minutes. It's your turn. Impress me. understand that one in four students at our high school do not live with either of their parents. And some of those are part of our youth group. So ministering to youth is important. It's not babysitting. It is important. The world's history is impacted by ministering to youth. I encourage you to pray about doing what you can to help make it a success. So value the next generation and help those who minister to them because it's urgent. And finally, be taught by the Lord yourself and share what you are learning. Be taught by the Lord yourself and share what you are learning. If we're not taught by the Lord, then all we have for our children are rules. And rules basically incite rebellion. But when we are taught by the Lord, we're imparting life rather than law. We're imparting reality rather than legalism. So it's important that I put God first if I want them to put him first. How to be taught by the Lord? By repenting. When we're wrong, don't defend ourselves. If you get angry and do something wrong in anger, don't surrender control and say it's because you made me mad. No, you became angry. You allowed yourself to get that angry to do something wrong. Admit it, you're not going to fool your kids. Because I said so works if it's an emergency type situation. But children need explanation. And when we've done wrong, we have to admit it. By worshiping, we all need to encounter God often. And in worship, we encounter His presence. We see how big He is and how small our problems are and our, 
Our faith is renewed and our spirit is restored. Worship is important for children to see us do. By practice, praying. By praying is just pouring out your heart to God, giving, telling Him your needs, and praying with your children. This is not a woman's job only, man. It's for all parents. If the husband's too busy to do it, then you lead where you're able to. Stop pointing the finger at one another. Work together. Pursuing fellowship with other believers is important. I know there's 30 million Americans that aren't part of an organized church. It's called the house church movement. But the majority of those no longer even go to church anywhere. And they'll argue with you and say, me and Jesus have our own thing going. And I'm going to heaven, so leave me alone. I don't believe in organized religion. Well, tell that to Jesus and the apostles. He organized some things before he left here. Well, I'm still going to heaven. Okay, you may be. But I guarantee you that lifestyle will not disciple your kids effectively. Because the day will come when our children uh, will be tested. Their faith in us will be tested. They'll think that we're morons. But if we have other Christian friends that we're in community with, guess what? They have other adults they can look at when our character is in question. Thank God for the church, this church, that helped raise my kids. And thank God for the parents that came and told me things I didn't know that I needed to know. And I could have gotten all upset. You're just picking on my kids. No, no, no. i got enough sense to know I don't see everything. And my kids could fool me. Anytime a parent comes to you with something they're concerned about, take it. You may put some salt with it, but take it and listen to it and heed it and watch. Pursue fellowship with other believers because this is important. You want your children to do it? We must do it. And read the Scriptures. Read the Bible. Read the Scriptures with them. Read Bible stories with them. Read. There's just some amazing things in the, in the Bible that will encourage you. And as you're being encouraged, you'll have something with which to encourage your children. And take the time to listen to your children, but also to the Lord. Praying isn't just talking to him and getting up. It's just waiting quietly before him, saying, God, I I need you to speak to my heart. And he'll bring things to your remembrance that you already knew that maybe has been on the back burner, truths that you know that you need to apply. The Holy Spirit is here to help us. So take time to listen. On my son's sixth birthday, March 12, 1988, While at a men's retreat in Fort Worth, Texas, with men from Shady Grove Church of Grand Prairie, I experienced God. That morning, during several hours of silence, the Lord began speaking to my heart some very clear direction for my ministry as a father to the children he had blessed me with. Others received similar life-changing direction that weekend. In the following are some of the things I wrote in my journal that day. I felt that God was speaking directly to me. These words have changed my life and my family for the better. I hope they'll bless all those who take the time to read them. And this is what I wrote. Alan, I have a clear word to speak to you as a father. Many have committed their lives to numerous noble pursuits, but have neglected their own children and died knowing that they failed. My church would not have crumbled into the dark ages if fathers would have been spiritual fathers to their natural children. 
What about the natural descendants of the apostles? Not to mention their spiritual offspring's descendants. What happened to them? Were they all killed off? I say no. The purposes for my people was not successfully imparted from generation to generation. Will you lay down your life for the next generation? Are you willing to become nothing so that the next generation can shine? I'm not speaking of your relationship within your own generation, but of your relationship to the next one. The apostles succeeded in reaching their generation and in reaching their next generation, but this impartation began to decline after several generations. Now I call you to look at your own generation. Many have fallen into sin and have unregenerate natural children because some of the former generation failed to lay down their lives for your generation. I call you to look at the next generation. Many Christians are not laying down their lives for them. They fail because of the soonness of my coming to prepare the next generation to carry on the legacy of Christ. If I come today or 2,000 years from today, there is no excuse for not laying down your life to see the next generation serve me and continue the dynasty of my eternal purpose. Your father and a child is the most ideal opportunity to disciple someone you will ever have. While you are called to disciple the nations, do not neglect your children. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, Acts 2.39. If your generation reaches more people than any other generation and yet does not successfully disciple the next generation, your generation will have failed. The people you reach will raise their children just like you do. You cannot impart what you are not walking in. Do not neglect the nations and do not neglect your children, lest the nations you reach also neglect their children. Be a worshiper, be a father, be a discipler, be a man. Well, meditated on these issues, I mean, this just hit my heart with weight. That same day, I thought of the potential power that we have as parents. I thought, what if during the first century, just one set of parents successfully discipled two children? And those two children grew up and discipled two children. This would make two children, four children would be discipled. Continuing with that train of thought and giving each set of potential parents a generation, that is 40 years, a biblical generation, to truly disciple two children, I wondered if this trend continued from generation to generation with each generation only doubling the size of the previous one, how many potentially discipled children would there be by the 50th generation. It would be 50 times 40, 2,000 years. The answer is 2 to the 50th power. Now, this may seem too far-stretched for you. This may blow your mind when I give you the number. But the point is, the Lord was showing me the potential that we have as parents. The total number of Christians that would have been converted, not all alive at the same time because each generation grows, 793,969,399,169,024. You want to evangelize the world? It starts at home. It starts at home. Although this is only dealing with the potential of child rearing, one can easily see the incredible influence we have as parents 
that we wield on the earth. The hand that rocks the cradle really does rock the world. With these insights and others shared by other brothers at that retreat, I went home and with, with renewed vigor, really began to work at discipling my own children. And it has been, not been easy and is rewarding, though. Thank God for a great wife and mother whom God gave me to raise our children with. We're also grateful for the many wonderful people who've helped us along the way by supplementing our ministry as parents with their great influence and commitment to children and youth ministry. From that time on, I began to do everything I could to be a blessing to the children's ministry at our home church in Grand Prairie, where my wife eventually joined the staff to work in children's ministry. Our passion was to supplement the ministry of other parents by ministering to their children. The church is just a supplement to your ministry as parents. We cannot replace you. Several years later, an opportunity opened for us to minister to children each Wednesday night at a new congregation they were helping plant in Granbury. To make a long story short, nine months later, we became the pastor of this church 20 years ago. It all goes back to God's call to disciple my kids. And I'm not done discipling them. I'm not in all their business like I was because they're, they're grown and gone. Daughter's fixing to get married. The son's been married for five years. But I continue to influence them every chance I can to encourage them to fulfill God's call on their life. So the question for us today is who's discipling our children? Someone is. Who is it? If we won't, someone will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would enable us to reach the next generation, starting with our own children at home. Lord, make the children's ministry at this church our strongest ministry. Use us, Lord, to be an impact. In Jesus' name, Lord, may the youth and children workers here never burn out because of the abundance of help and encouragement they're receiving. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious to you and give you his peace. And may your home be a haven, a picture of heaven where hurt never turns into strife. May God establish his order in each of our lives. May we put him first, others second, our children third, ourselves fourth. We ask this, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.